Welcome to a very special episode of Get a Q. My name is Brandon Hall. I was pleased to be joined at the Spring Conference by Greg Kulowick, Dr. Candace Sumner, Jed Stefanowitz, and Savvy Demers. Each spoke about their presentation at the Spring Conference with the topic Equity, What's Next? being the overarching theme. Sit back and relax as I speak to these four education leaders about equity, diversity, inclusion, and the things that make Massachusetts educators great. Welcome back to the Spring Conference. I'm here with Dr. Candace Sumner, who is our morning keynote speaker. Uh, her speech, or her, her topic this morning, was uh, we are in a revolutionary situation, uh, James Baldwin quote. Uh, how'd you come to that? How'd you come to James Baldwin? Well, James Baldwin, um, I've always loved everything yeah. he's ever written. And when I began this journey, I stumbled across his A Talk to Teachers, which mm -hmm. was a speech transcribed. And I found line for line, I was like, oh my God, he's talking to me. <laughs> he's talking to me yeah. and everyone that I know. Mm -hmm. And I find a way to read it at least every month. Um, and when I have the opportunity, I use it as a anchor text and a teaching tool. Mm -hmm. um, and he spoke these words in 1963. And not one time has anything he said then rung untrue now. Mm -hmm. And just the imperative that we are in a revolutionary situation. We are charged with the edification of humans, right? Kids. Mm -hmm. And so our role is that much more spectacular. And it's important that we recognize that system changing, system building, speaking truth to power, equity is a revolution, mm -hmm. um, a revolution that we is not new, but we are new to it. And we must be humbled by the awesomeness of the, of the responsibility and also empowered by the task. Yeah. And I, I remember the first time I heard of James Baldwin was as a teacher, as a classroom teacher. I remember seeing a coworker had a poster up in her classroom and we were thinking, where's this guy been all my life? Exactly. <laughs> How have I not That's why I call this? him Uncle Jimmy because yeah. I want him to be like, yeah. I love you. Thank yeah. you for your words. Yeah, yeah. I, I just remember seeing the poster and being like, oh, wait a minute. Hold on a second. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. In the same, in sort of the same way. Um, and going back into your career mm -hmm. um, and even into your education, um, an interesting documentary um, that was that was created uh, far from home mm -hmm. in your college search. Yeah, um, oh boy. I, I can't imagine in a, a more stressful time in my entire life. <laughs> but now people can't see this because it's a podcast, but you did the face you just made is exactly <laughs> the face every high school senior makes when someone's like, where are you going to college mm -hmm. next year? Exactly. Um, and then you had a documentary crew film, the film crew following you around for Wouldn't that. you want someone to document the most awkward time in your life, the oh, most stressful time in yeah, your life? Yeah, right, right. But it was very, very impactful. I bet. And um, it really captured... The journey I was on as a black student in an all-white school, mm -hmm. and it captured also my, at the time, um, I only wanted to go to Brown University. Yeah. That was where I was supposed to go. That yeah. was where my mother yeah. went. Yeah. I felt I had heard from God. That is where I was supposed to go. Yep. Yep. And like Spellman was like, okay, well, maybe, you know, I'm black and I keep hearing about it. Maybe I should try it. It was not where my love was at all. Yeah. And in the documentary, it captures, I get deferred from Brown and I'm crestfallen. Um, and I got admitted early to Spelman, and you could start to see me kind of like, hmm, maybe something is here. Yeah. And I um, visit Spelman over one of uh, my vacations, as I believe I was a senior or junior, 
and it was like love. Yeah. It was yeah. like, oh, I've been studying abroad my whole life, and now this is my home. Yeah, like this is yeah. where I should have been. Yeah. And so, having that conversation within myself, amongst my family, of kind of like, okay, there's something that I need to pay attention to. There's a part of my identity. There's a part of my spirit that has never been activated. Yeah. And I'll deal with later the whys, but I gotta follow my heart which is telling me i need to be here because this place is going to love me like no place has ever loved yeah yeah i can't imagine what the sort of meta feeling is of you see yourself making the decision inside your brain and then you see yourself on tv mm -hmm. seeing yourself make the decision mm -hmm. i cannot mm -hmm. fathom that it's a lot and um you know oftentimes i am called to like they'll be they'll have a viewing of a documentary and mm -hmm. then i have to watch it and like in the beginning it's kind of like yeah. but yeah. now i see her as like a little girl yeah. who is just trying to figure it out still yeah, yeah. and I have compassion for her and it's like there are so many things you're trying to figure out that you're still figuring out yeah. and you were so hard on yourself then um, and you had none of the answers all of the questions and you were just trying your best and that's what we are all trying to do mm -hmm. in our respective journeys no matter what skin color we are it's what in the hell am I doing yeah and in your keynote you put a picture of yourself up um, as a two or three year old, mm -hmm. recently returned from Disney World, mm -hmm. Disneyland, I think mm -hmm. it's Disneyland, yeah. Yeah, um, and and to see that kid up there, I'm sure you have the same you have the same feelings. It probably evokes the same. Yeah, we're all still that little kid. Yeah, we're all still that little kid who just wants to have joy, who just wants to keep their spirit happy and intact. And this world is saying no because mm -hmm. because you are gay, because you are trans, because you are black, because you are white, and this means X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. um, and we're just trying to fill in that gap of understanding and maintaining that childlike spirit and, and curiosity about, okay, well, what, when I'm faced with something I don't understand, would the kid version of you like, well, I'm just not gonna do it. No, let's be honest. The kid version was like, okay, I need to figure this out. Mm -hmm. why, why isn't this working? Why was this uncomfortable? And how can I figure this out for myself? And now I wanna get my friends too, because yeah. what's more fun than having your friends work through something? So puzzles and games when we were kids, that's the same thing as this race work. It's like, this is something that we have inherited that is confusing, that is difficult, that is uncomfortable, that is challenging, but let's do it together. We're all fumbling and bumbling. Let's keep our sense of joy and our uh, youthful optimism, mm -hmm. but um, don't shy away from the task. Yeah, and I think a lot of, uh, and, and you mentioned a little bit about this in your, in your talk, um, what the pandemic did mm -hmm. for us to kind of stop and think. Uh, and I think in a lot of ways, it made communities think about what they were doing, uh, how they were treating other communities, and then to be able to step back into ourselves and say, okay, I need to give more grace and more space. I need to be a certain way. We don't need to be going at a thousand miles an hour all the time. I, I remember being at this very conference, you know, a week before the world shut down. Mm -hmm. um, and my wife and I were supposed to travel. Mm -hmm. We were supposed to go to Ireland mm -hmm. and we still haven't been able to make up mm -hmm. that trip yet. But <laughs> But like that, that's part of that space and grace, right? Mm -hmm. Like we have to, we have to do a better job of mm -hmm. remembering those things that we learned mm -hmm. in that critical period. Mm -hmm. The pandemic as tragic and still tragic mm -hmm. as it was, was also in, in essence, a gift. Mm -hmm. um, the universe was saying, you guys are really effing up. So I'm going to sit you in a timeout. Yeah. You guys have to figure this out and I'm going to give you nothing but space an opportunity and time to look at yourselves, look at each other, and we did a lot more screwing up of each other. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that we did, I don't think we did the best we should have done with the gift we were given, which was time and trauma. Right. Um, but 
the last two years will forever be a bookmark for us of where were you before, yeah. where were you during, and what did you do after? And whether it was being captivated by George Floyd and being captivated by the lack of action or whatever, um, how we were for our Asian American family, like everything. Mm -hmm. We can't pretend like it didn't happen. Like right. stop it. Right. Mask or no mask. Let's not forget that the last two years, a lot of SHIT went down mm -hmm. and we're not going to pretend like it didn't. Let's live in that, figure it out because what's gonna, who's to say the universe won't sit us in a timeout again. Right. And it might be worse next time. Back right. to James Baldwin, fire next time. Yeah. Like be careful. Yeah. Don't take for granted um, the peace and the blessings because it can get worse if we don't do a better job by the moment we have right now. Mm -hmm. And now where, where is the best place for a person who wants to get started to get started? in your living room. It starts with you. It starts with what you consume, what you put in your mind, what you put in your spirit. It starts with when you're on your phone, what feeds are you listening to? When you are on your podcast, what pod what books are you reading? And what are you doing with that information? Who are you talking to? Bring your tribe with you. Talk to your friends. You're struggling with things? Guess what? You're not the only one. Oh my God, I didn't like what I saw. Or how come you know this happened in the news and I don't who do I talk to about rather than having innocuous worthless conversations about sneakers or whatever I have a friend and I want to talk to someone that I feel safe with mm -hmm. about this really difficult thing and allow these critical friend groups affinity groups however grow um, if you can do have a yoga class get together and actually talk about something that matters and it doesn't require someone who doesn't look like you everyone with a race has a race problem so figure your shit out like there's critical race studies there's also critical white studies figure it out um we have inherited this problem just like we inherited our names we didn't ask for it but it is our responsibility to figure it out and do better mm -hmm. so that those who are around us can be led by our example and those who come behind us can be proud rather than disappointed in what we did with this moment. Yeah, um, and then looking at you as an educational leader in a, school, in a school or in a school district, how do you bring that work into your school um, in such a way that it's meaningful for students? Well, one of my favorite things in my position, I'm associate principal of a school and I have the wonderful, the awesome responsibility of having day-to-day -day contact with students. 750, That's 60, great. 12 kids. My favorite part yeah. is every morning I greet them at the door with my personal playlist of awesomeness. Hmm. And I'm also engaged with conversations amongst my staff, calling teachers in like, hey, this is something that has been brought to our attention. How can we inform you on how to improve your practice? How can I support you? Because I'm not going to villainize you because of a misstep or you said something mm. wrong. But this is an opportunity for us to walk through how that's not what that's not what should have happened. And this is how it should have gone. And mm. how can I support you in that journey? Um, and then also creating spaces for um, duplication um, where we can learn from our mistakes and multiply those lessons, um, whether it's from a student level, whether it's the teacher's level or a district level. Um, and it's really personalized by experience to experience. Yeah, and, and I, I have to say, I was really moved by what you talked about um, during your, te uh, your, your TED talk. No, there's which, that. Which was also <laughs> out there too. Um, and, and how schools uh, can end up keeping kids in poverty. Yeah. Um, 
And, and you mentioned the school to prison, or at mm -hmm. least the video uh, mentioned the school to prison pipeline. Mm -hmm. um, it's something I think, I think a lot of us struggle with. Mm -hmm. Where do we break that out of, mm -hmm. you know, how do we break out of that, mm -hmm. that, that model? Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it didn't get built overnight, yeah. so it doesn't get dismantled overnight, and it gets dismantled by a million different cuts. It's problematizing daily. Does this kid have to get suspended? Is there another way? Right. Is there a restore? And before we even get there, where can I take onus for, where did we fail this kid before this whatever situation happened, before this kid felt they needed to bring this weapon to school, mm -hmm. before this fight happened? What adults dropped the ball and how can we hold those adults accountable and hold the student accountable in a restorative way that involves the family, that involves all people who were harmed and all people who are impacted. Um, and so it's not a one case. It's not this is what everybody needs to do. It's a case by case. Mm -hmm. Where can we identify all of the areas and all of the nuances in every situation to avoid suspensions, to avoid suspul expulsions, to avoid retention? Um, because the prison pipeline is a very real thing um, that is made by series of decisions made by the adults and we have to hold if we're holding our students accountable we have to equally hold ourselves accountable to where we fail kids yeah and I, I think the um, the piece that you mentioned there it, it's really difficult to have the kid create do a behavior think of there is a behavior and then have that restorative justice and have the adults also buy in on the restorative justice as well mm -hmm. because the kid in, in some instances people that aren't familiar with it will say well the kid got off easy mm -hmm. but that's not the point mm -mm. of the restorative ju mm -mm. of restorative justice mm -mm. that i think a lot of people miss mm -hmm. in in the initial sort mm -hmm. of beginning stages mm -hmm. of that and like you said it's not something that happens overnight no and i think one of the biggest problems is we have to problematize our relationship to consequences because a lot of it it's ego you want this kid to have this consequence because you got your feelings hurt, right. because your pride was injured, right. or they said something to you, and, well, there needs to be equal consequence for the harm that was done to me. Mm -hmm. um, you are an adult. This kid is 12. Yeah. Are you really thinking that the standard should be the same because your feelings were hurt? And so I try to engage the conversation of, is this about pride, or is this about teaching? Because consequences should be teaching tools within themselves. Mm -hmm. um, are you trying to control this kid or are you trying to teach the kid? Is it that you want the kid to sit down or to learn the value of respect? Those are two different conversations which can look and present themselves as the same behavior. Yeah. And so that's why it's harder. Because the easier thing to do is just sit down and shut up. Or here's the consequence. And that's where we're going to keep staying in that cycle. Because there is no restoration happening. Um, so challenging all stakeholders, the teachers, the principals, the families. Um, is it because your feelings are hurt or because... Something actually is bigger here. Yeah. Uh, final question. Mm -hmm. The little girl that was up on the screen. Yeah. What advice would you give to her right now, having lived your entire life? If you could go back and say to her one piece of advice, what would it be? So the beautiful thing about that question is I have a little girl. Yeah. Right. And that little girl very much... And to all the parents involved, when you see your kid, you're like, oh, shoot. Yeah. Oh, That's yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good and bad. Yeah. Right? And so to little Candace, who is also Shiloh, carry all of that joy. Don't let anyone steal your shine. And as your great-grandmother, my grandmother, kick ass and take names. Awesome. Yeah, good stuff. <laughs>
<laughs> Dr. Candace Sumner, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Brandon. This was great. Thank you. Welcome back to the Get a Key Podcast. My name is Brandon Hall. I am pleased to be joined today by Masque Executive Director Savvy Demers. Savvy, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much. Is this As always, happy to be here. Third time, I think, now on the yeah. podcast. Okay, we're getting close to the Five Timers Award. I know. Well, I I hope. Yeah. I hope. I, I can only dream. Yeah, right. Of they, such there's things. a there's a robe that's I involved, was, like Saturday Night Live. It's like the little crest with the. I was hoping. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. We'll I'm get in. there. Let's get there. We have um, we have a pretty pretty significant budget. So yes. we'll just it's huge. I hear. Oh, the podcast budget's it's through the roof. Through the roof. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, <laughs> so <laughs> the theme of today's conference uh, is equity. What's next? And as we've heard from uh, two keynotes now, um, your opening remarks, the opening remarks of the Secretary of Education, which was a super cool get. So cool. Uh, Dr. Tutwiler was here, and uh, what's been what's what's sort of been the vibe that you've gotten uh, as you've gone through the conference today so far? Yeah, so we're just really excited that people are as excited as we are to talk about what equity looks like post-pandemic. Um, I think the secretary's remarks uh, really echoed a lot of the things that we've been talking about, especially in in our fall conference. You know, we're trying to figure out um, in in all of our all of our events, trying to figure out how do we talk about equity when, like the secretary pointed out, um, you know not everybody has the same definition of equity and what it looks like. Um, and so it's really exciting to be here today. Um, and we had, you know, two keynotes that were really ready to talk to this group of people about, you know, what's important, uh, what, what we need to look forward to. Uh, one of, the reason that we chose this theme was, you know, we have a lot of educators, a lot of schools talking about how they, you know, have done the book club. They've done mm. the first step, you know, whatever that first step was in, in their district. And now it's kind of like, okay, well, we did that. What do we do now? Mm -hmm. And that's why I really appreciated Dr. Sumner, you know, giving us some action steps. Um, you know, Christina Ishmael giving us uh, some tools to, to connect with um, at the federal level. Um, so I'm really excited for, for us to move forward and, and kind of build off of this energy um, yeah. into furthering um, our equity campaign. Yeah. Thank you for all. It was very cool that we can get from, you know, the first talk with, uh, with Candace, Dr. Candace Sumner, with Dr. Sumner talking about the big picture ideas and, and like you said, sort of some action steps, but then the actual physical tools that we can work with from the Department of Education that exist out there already. Um, and I know I'm going back to my district on Monday morning with, you know, the, the $30 waiver fee right, on, yeah. on internet and digital redlining that she talked about, uh, which is great. And it's those sort of action steps. I put a note in my calendar to send an yes, email. I love that. Uh, so it's it's that kind of stuff that I think we we get lost in the weeds sometimes with mm -hmm. how do we solve this problem? How do we work on this problem? And then we eventually get the, like, here are the problems. They're right. written out for you right here. Yep. Here are the solutions. They're written out for you right here. Right. And it was done in, in plain English for us today it by was. two really great speakers. Absolutely. Yeah. It really was. And that, um, you know, I would love to say that that was always the, the vision of exactly what the, today was going to look like. But I, I think more it's just about, you know, finding 
those people and, and I also love that that's what Dr. Sumner was talking about today as well is that you know we you have to find the people who are going to tell you what's going on then they're probably outside of your or current organization mm-hmm. now do we have advocates and incredible co-conspirators within districts of course we do but a lot of times the only person who can kind of point things out while being still feeling like they're safe in in their career mm-hmm. is usually an outsider um, and so it's been really cool to find this like infectious energy, you know, Dr. Sumner kind of called it out. Uh, Secretary Tutwiler kind of did a little introduction. Um, and then, you know, to come in with Christina giving us like actual tools to use um, after, and then just a bunch of incredible presenters here talking about the great things that they're doing in their own districts. Um, as well as, you know, we have Desi here mm-hmm. talking about some of the things that they're doing at the, um, at the state level. Um, it just feels like a really action oriented day. Um, and I think people are responding to that and that's really exciting. Yeah. And I think that's part of why it's exciting to live in Massachusetts and work in Massachusetts in education because there's the big ideas are out there and they're out at the national level and sometimes they're here first. In Massachusetts, mm. but it's nice to see that we've got people like like Christina Ishmael working right. in lockstep with what Massachusetts is trying to accomplish, and and the groundwork is being laid at the federal level and at the state level, sort of at the same time. Yeah, and I think too, um, you know, it's difficult. I, I I'm not from Massachusetts originally. I'm from Maine, um, and I think coming here was kind of like a little bit of a, a culture shock in the in the education world um, because we have all of these incredible institutions that are here. um, And I don't always know that there's enough communication Mm. between all of them. And so I love the opportunity for MassQ to be an event and a space and a member bank that can bring those people together to have the conversations to make sure that all of that work is getting done collectively and all of our incredible institutions. Yeah, you bring up a great point. I feel like the, the pre-K to 12 sector right. and the post-secondary sector don't, right. there's not a whole lot of bleed there right. between the two groups. Yeah, and I think, you know, that was again something that both of our keynotes talked about today was our pre-service teachers, you know. Um, we were lucky enough, and actually all three, and Secretary Tuckweiler talked about pre-service teachers too. And that's something that, you know, Maskew is really trying to look into. How can we support pre-service teachers? Because we often see, you know, first-year educators being, you know, thrown to the wolves, (laughs) if you will, and, um, you know, just doing their best to stay afloat. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we do have some structures in place, but that core knowledge is being built, um, you know, at the pre-service teacher level and how, so we're really trying to look at how MassQ can support that um, from a technology standpoint, Mm -hmm. because, you know, we hear from, you know, Christina Ishmael that like uh, educators and students are using over a hundred and like almost like 140 different tools Mm -hmm. in the classroom. How can you even do that if you weren't trained on any of those tools? Like the learning curve is so high. Yeah. 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 And I feel like often we're just like, oh, well, you know, Gen Z and millennials, like that's who's now in the pre-service teacher realm. They'll be fine. Let's just focus on who's there. But it's not about just learning the tool. It's about using the tool yeah. in classrooms. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one thing to have the tool and use it. Right. It's a whole nother to understand the pedagogical reasoning behind it and what, it, what you're trying to accomplish and the exactly. bigger goals. And yeah. Uh, in, in looking at pre-service teachers, I think MassQ's always done a nice job with um, offering admission at yes. discounted rates or free rates yes. um, to events and things like that and the professional development. I wonder if there's a way to create connections with consortiums of universities and colleges, Yeah. Um, whether it's the UMass system or right. 
um, you know, I know we have some people that are here today from UMass yep. that are working here. Um, and I know like Lori Cooney is, um, yep. is at UMass Boston and she does a lot of work with MassQ. But I wonder if there's a way to sort of bring in more of those those individual colleges and universities. Absolutely. And that's those are the um, we've been really talking a lot recently. One of the things that's come out as a part of our equity campaign is um we need to build more relationships. Um, and not that we are, the relationships that we currently have aren't great. We have incredible relationships with corporate partners. We have a great relationship with Desi. We're so thankful for. We have incredible membership. Um, and how do we expand that? Mm -hmm. How do we go and find the gaps? Um, and, and how do we rethink a lot of the things that have been going on? You know, um, I, we're so excited that this event today was so successful. Um, and we're wondering, you know, how can we use this momentum? Because I feel like the momentum we have here is because of the momentum that we gained from our fall conference. Mm -hmm. um, and so how can we um, kind of close that gap and figure out how to continue that conversation by bringing in um, more relationships um, and, and really fostering them and making sure that, you know, I, when I think about pre-service teachers and I think about these programs that we want to build relationships with, the reason that we want to is, like we said, yes, you have the tool, and yes, but then you also need the pedagogical knowledge, but then you also need the pedagogical knowledge in terms of how to look at that through an equity lens, mm -hmm. you know? So, um, yes, like, you know, for example, like Google has all these, like, great accessible tools, but if you're not using them in that capacity, mm -hmm. then the tool is irrelevant, in terms uh, like from an equity perspective. And so um, we want to talk to pre-service teachers about pre-service teaching programs about what they're already doing. Mm -hmm. That's really that they found to be really successful. And then how can we support not only their professional learning, but also the learning of their pre-service teachers? Yeah, that's some great stuff right there. And now with you personally, you've been the executive director now for six, eight months. Yeah. Yeah. About that. Since uh, July. Settling things starting to kind of make sense. Settle in. Um, I'm getting to this point where I'm like, does Maskew ever settle in? <laughs> like, I don't think so. But no. So, um, you know, we're already in, in the process of uh, planning for our fall conference, mm -hmm. um, which will be back at Gillette. We're very excited. Um, we're, uh, we have an uh, exciting event coming up in, on May 5th um, with our incredible corporate partners. Mm -hmm. We have our corporate partner showcase. Yep. Um, that is a, it's like a, a vendor event. And we hope that, you know, um, people with, uh, especially like uh, tech directors and principals will come and kind of look at what these incredible corporations can offer. Um, I was blown away by the incredible speech by uh, Diane from Renaissance today um, and their commitment to equity that mm -hmm. um, that just speaks to what great partnerships we have um, with so many yeah. of our of our programming um, but but yeah I, I think I'm we're, we're we're settling in it's feeling more slightly more <laughs> relaxed yeah every yeah, day yeah, yeah. yeah a little more normal yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah, and what I, I think what I've noticed with the corporate partners, to touch on that, is how thoughtfully they're chosen. Yeah. That they're not, it's not just, you know, like, here's a company that's willing to give us money, right. so come on board and we'll yeah. give you a booth. It's the, the, the companies that are here are very thoughtful yeah. about what their mission is and that it's education-focused and it's student-focused and yeah. research-driven and uh, it, it's... It, from an education standpoint, from a teacher standpoint, from an administrator standpoint, it's very good to know that. Absolutely. And we're actually, we've revamped our corporate partner uh, model um, that has currently only been presented to our current partners. Of course, they 
get the first look. Mm -hmm. um, but we will be publishing that soon. So we're excited to, um, you know, like really solidify the relationships that we have with our current partners as well as seek out you know other people other other organizations that that might be interested in uh, partnering with us because that's what we that's what we really mean when we talk about a partnership um, like you said like it's not just about like someone who's gonna fund us it's mm. about how can we create uh, a you know a symbiotic mutualistic relationship um, that we're really partners in in learning and growth mm -hmm. and um, we're really excited about it. That's cool. Uh, anything else on the horizon? Oh my gosh, so much. Um, <laughs> we are very excited to welcome um, on March 20th, we have a new staff person. Oh. Um, yes, Jen Thomas is going to be our professional learning and program coordinator. Wow. So we are now going to have a designated full time professional learning. Do we need to hit person. the breaking news sounder it's here for that? Yeah, kind wow. of. Yeah, it's it's a really big deal. We're really excited. She hasn't officially started full time. Yep. Um, you know, of course, she's also coming out of a district. Um, and so we're just we're just really excited um, about the future. We um, we're looking forward to um, some new job postings as well um, in the next couple of months um, for a couple of other full time positions. Um, of course, retaining our, our incredible and invaluable staff that we do what we have right now. Mm -hmm. um, and we're really just ready to grow, and it's awesome. um, it's gonna be great. Yeah, that's cool. Mask you for all equity. It's all going down here. It's yes. very it it's very it's a very exciting time to be involved. Yes, yeah. um, and the feedback from today um, has been really positive. Mm. And you know, sometimes when you when you try something new and you do something different, um, when you um, especially today with our keynotes, you know, we're borderline pushing the envelope um, for this, and uh, we've had nothing but positive feedback. Yeah. So we're we're just so excited that our community is supportive of uh, this really important mission. Yeah, this conference generally has always felt like a like a big idea conference. Yes. Um, in the, in the spring, and really like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, uh, can't give too much away, but um, you know, we are excited to grow this conference. Um, in the future. Excellent. We don't know how far in the future, but um, we're excited to um, in just grow in general. Yeah. It's a growth, we're in a growth period. That's and great. And that's just really exciting. Growth is always fun and exciting. Yes. Yeah. Savvy Demers, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Anytime. Welcome back to the Mask You Get a Cute podcast. My name is Brandon Hall. I am pleased to be joined today by Greg Kulowick. Greg is the Triton Regional School District Technology Director. He is also the lead at the Kulowick Group. Greg, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you very much. It's awesome to be here. I've always seen this from afar, so I'm really happy to be able to engage and have a little discussion today. Yeah. Uh, so your uh, presentation today at the Spring Conference is um, meeting the needs of all learners. Um, where do we start? So. The idea is that um, students come into our classrooms with all kinds of unique abilities, unique um, obstacles, challenges. So this this idea is that how, how might we be able to blend um, ideas around universal design for learning, a little bit of thinking around uh, student variability. And the concept is that every student comes in with unique needs and unique abilities. So then how can we take that understanding, that perspective, and then use the tools that are dominant in a significant number of classrooms, the device being the Chromebook, the environment being Google Workspace, and then how can we think strategically about designing digital content to support the needs of all learners. So it's tools that we already have at our fingertips, and then we're just trying to kind of think um, really carefully about how can I make 
minor adjustments, really thoughtful adjustments to my content so students can engage with it independently. So I kind of think of it in terms of input and output. What can we do to design it to make it more practical and more accessible in terms of the input for all learners? And then what opportunities can we give them for the output so they can show us what they know and understand? Also with the recognition, like in my role now, being on the kind of the back end of technology as a director of technology, I understand budget limitations, mm. student privacy concerns. So how can we be really careful about the tools we're adopting? And in reality is adopt nothing new, use the stuff that we have, but use it more strategically and more intentionally. Yeah, so if you think of it like a triangle, you've kind of been in all three different points, right? You've been in the classroom, you've been a tech director, you've been an outside observer. Yeah. Uh, and, and actually, if you want to make it a box, you're a parent, too. Well, yeah, and I, I think that might be the most critical one because now everything I look at, I think of it in terms of what, what would I think as the parent if yeah. my student was using this tool? Um, and I also look at it from the terms of what opportunities are they maybe not being given because of a lack of awareness, budget funding, whatever the constraints might be, comfort level of the students and the teacher in the classroom. Like there's so many variables that come into this. But I think um, over time, obviously with experience, with age, with parenting, with all of the above, I, I think I've always tried to take a really practical approach. Maybe it was a l pushing a little bit too hard at times, but I think I try to be really practical in terms of meeting people where they are. Um, this idea that educators are, they're always working with the best intentions. Mm. Sometimes it's lack of time, resources, um, capacity, comfort level. And so that's why I like to take this idea of let's use the thing that we pretty much all have access to mm -hmm. and just use it a little more thoughtfully and like blend this thinking around UDL where the premise is that the student doesn't need to change, the context needs to change and take that approach to how we design digital experiences for students. Yeah, and, and I know with, with our school district, we have sort of a, we have the decaps in place, right, where we've got little accommodations that we can make for every single student, doesn't have to be a student on an ed plan, doesn't have to be on a 504 plan. What kind of accommodations can we make across the board to make learning more accessible. Yeah, and I think you can even start with, like it's common for a teacher in a classroom to have to present information to the student. So we are projecting information and mm -hmm. presenting it, and how can we take um, just, in many times it's just minor tweaks and adjustments to the way that we're even presenting information. Mm -hmm. So in the session that I'm, I'm doing today, I'm going to try to model that so instead of talking about it, I will try to model those ideas in a live session of imagine that your students in my classroom and I'm trying to teach you about this idea. I have to be really thoughtful of um, what are the different challenges and what are the unique abilities that everyone's bringing into the room and how do I have to think about that? And then you know, someone might say, well, I don't know where to start. I don't know what they're bringing into the room. I'm not saying that I will know what every attendee is going to bring into the mm -hmm. classroom or that you can know on day one what every student's bringing into the classroom, but we can be aware of what some of those common things are, those maybe more universal um, variables that are coming in. So we can use a tool like um, Verizon's Learner Variability Tool. And you can click on, my student, I know they're coming in with a lack of sleep, they have this thing going on, they have this other accommodation, and it will literally pump out um, research-based strategies. It doesn't mean we have to use all of them, but we can now be a little bit more informed and pull the ones out that, one, we can pull off, because if we try to do too much, then that's a non-starter on the second pass, and we're not doing that ever again. Sure. So this is where it's like incremental changes, not massive. We must change everything immediately. Yeah, yeah. Um, and to switch gears just a little bit, mm. um, you, you've been uh, sort of out in the forefront on the artificial intelligence 
um, sector in education and chat GPT and how disruptive that's been. And, and when I say disruptive, I don't necessarily mean in a bad way. Um, that that it's, a, it's in the same way that Google was disruptive yeah. when, when it first came about, uh, chat GPT and other artificial intelligence platforms have that same ability. Um, where, where do you see that going? So, one, uh, I think it would be foolish to go, it's going here. Like, mm -hmm. n no one knows where it's going. And I think if you claim that you do, like, you're not doing a service to anyone, right? I, I try to come at it from a number of different perspectives. One is artificial intelligence does not equal chat GPT. Artificial intelligence is bigger than that, it's sure. broader than that, and so in districts and um, groups that I've worked with, I've, I've been doing kind of like these 90 minute like jumpstart, like let's increase awareness, not solve problems, increase awareness. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, let's get everyone as educated as possible at what's happening. So chat GPT, uh, excuse me, artificial intelligence equals text output, audio output, image output, video output, you name it, it can do it. And I remember many years ago giving a session on like, this was early, maybe 2017, 2018, artificial intelligence and education. I remember making the bold and now ridiculous claim that like, don't worry, creativity is still safe. Kids can output media that's unique to them, but it's very apparent that like if you've used Dolly 2 or if you've yeah. used any of these tools or um, you know tools where you can you can essentially with with the right prompt writing go from idea to multimedia creative output in just a few steps. Mm -hmm. So it's making educators aware of that. The other side, and th this idea that I've had multiple perspectives now, like I have the perspective as a director of technology of an English department going, hey, can you block this on the network? Mm -hmm. And my perspective is no, that's the wrong path to go down, and it becomes an equity issue to me. So if you block it at a school level, then you're immediately implying that kids who know how to leverage this outside of school, you're giving them, it becomes a massive divide. It's going to exacerbate the divide that already exists because now they essentially have a personal tutor at home at no cost. Mm -hmm. So before we could say, well, we have nothing to do with this. If that family is going to pay for a tutor, that has nothing to do with what's going on in school. But now we're saying if we block it, we're choosing to not inform students, educate students and we're choosing to create a bigger disparity outside of school, and that to me is a major problem. It doesn't mean it should be used in all instances in every classroom, so I like to think about it in terms of empower the teacher in the classroom with tools that many districts have, not all, tools like GoGuardian, I know in my district we mm -hmm. use ClassWise, so hey, if you want the kids to do a focused writing assignment, then lock them into a Google document, totally reasonable, yeah. right? Or go offline if that's a better environment, right, right, right. but we can't put our head in the sand and turn our back to it because th they need to know how to leverage it like all emerging technologies. We, we have to not adopt it immediately, not transform our curriculum, not take a sledgehammer to it and go, everything we're doing is broken, but I think it's carefully bringing awareness and then making really thoughtful decisions, understanding the full spectrum of what AI really is. How do we somewhere in the classroom leverage that? Do we say like, you know, here's the example we can use. We can say, you know, this is what some of the great points would be that you would want to hit in your essay. Um, or here's the essay completely written by artificial intelligence. Uh, how can we improve it? Yeah, I, there's so many um, there's so many there's so many ways that that tool can be mm -hmm. leveraged in meaningful and intentional ways. Um, teenagers are teenagers. Yeah. If I was a teenager in 2023, I would 100% have uh, numerous assignments flat out written by ChatGPT. 
and I would not have any concern over it. Like, this is me being brutally honest about where I was as a learner when I was 17 years old, right? right, right so right. I think we can't ignore the fact that students might do that. However, if we can show them the kind of things you're alluding to, like take a first pass at your writing and have that tool help you get rid of passive voice, for example. That was a major obstacle of mine as a writer. Sure. Or um, the obstacle of a blank white screen. Like prompt writing is a really critical skill. People who know how to take advantage of that tool effectively and efficiently and get the output they want, they're at a distinct advantage over people who are gonna go, that tool has no place in what we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, what's also, I think we have to um, not diminish the power of like human interaction and human understanding. I had, you'll love this story, I had an email that I had to send out to my staff mm -hmm. that was talking about, um, hey, we're gonna do this cybersecurity training. The email is coming. The email that's going to be coming is, is legitimate. It's not a spam attempt. Like, so I took my original email and I tend to, um, I tried to be just very concise and direct and like, this is coming, here's the date, here, you know, here's what you're gonna do. And I dropped it into ChatGPT and I told it to make it a little more upbeat and with a lighter tone. I got numerous emails back from multiple colleagues saying, Greg, we think this is a spam email because you don't write emails in this tone. This ever. isn't your voice. Yeah, this isn't your voice. Yeah. So they knew right away that I didn't write it. And I thought it was really interesting. I did it as a bit of an experiment to see what would happen. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, the does it pass that test of if we read it, like, wait a minute, I know this writer, I know this learner, this isn't their voice, but can we teach them how to take advantage of that tool to learn how to improve? Or one, and this was research back in the 2017, 2018, I can't remember exactly what it was, but the thinking around, um, like really uh, timely and effective feedback, just good enough feedback is better than feedback that comes two, week later, mm -hmm. two weeks later on an assignment that's going in the trash can. So I think of the hours that educators will put into staying up, writing comments in the margin, inserting comments on a document. What if we could say with all reliability, we can train the AI tool and this, this is not this is doable now with some barriers to doing it. This is gonna become increasingly accessible. What if we can train the AI tool to provide the type of feedback that I would normally provide based on having it see the feedback I've provided historically and go provide feedback the way I would on this piece of student writing. Now, it frees me up to just have this interaction, the human interaction, and not get bogged down, burning myself out, running out of energy, and oftentimes that feedback ends up in the trash can anyway. I was listening on the way in to Adam Grant's podcast um, and he was interviewing Yo-Yo Ma and he was talking about how like energy, um, skill and ability is not finite, like uh, genius and skill is infinite, but energy is finite, mm. right? So we have to be really strategic about how we use our energy, where we use our energy. So if I stay up till one in the morning providing feedback, I don't have the ability or the energy to do what I need to do in a human interaction. So if I can outsource that to, the, to a level that's reliable and good enough, and I know we might say, well, it has to be as good as me. Well. Feedback two weeks later on assignments that sat on my desk for two weeks is not good enough. So could this tool fit, fit in that role? That's one of many ways that this could potentially impact what's going on with students in a classroom. Yeah, and then to tie it all up, for, for an equity piece, how do you make sure that, or you know, this is bigger question, right? Uh, how do we make sure that it's equitable for all students, for all teachers, for all districts? Yeah. 
man, what a tough it's question. A load, it's a, a completely a loaded question in front of an empty ballroom. I apologize for awesome that. Awesome question. How do we answer this one? How do we make sure? I think, one, it's creating space for people to express where they are in this moment. Mm. So having space for the English department to say, one, we're worried. We, we don't know how to handle this. How can you empower us now? Because we have midterms next week. Right. And our process is to have kids complete those midterms on the Chromebook. So we have to empower people now to be able to run their classroom. We can't ask people to transform their curriculum in a week. And one thing that's super challenging about this technology is I've never seen any technology that can potentially be used in a classroom evolve at this rate. Yeah. Like the pace at which the tools are emerging and they're changing. There was just an update the other day about there's a change to um, OpenAI's like API that they're using and what you can do with the, you know, their, their artificial intelligence. So the pace of this change is pretty startling. But I think it's making space for educators to express their concern, be empowered, and give them time to think about how might we adjust or adapt. Um, but super challenging question. Yeah, Thanks yeah. for that one. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we will leave it at that yeah. uh, and hope that Skynet doesn't take over uh, Terminator 2 style. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. Greg, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It was awesome. Appreciate I can't it. wait to hear all the rest of the episodes. Thank you. Digital Learning Specialist at the Walpole Public Schools and is giving a presentation today on every student's voice. Jed, welcome. Awesome, thanks. In fact, I'm a digital learning coach in Walpole, which is different from how other districts have a specialist. Um, it's specifically different in hopefully that the focus is on the academic coaching and the instructional side of things where specialists often get stuck in the operational side yeah, of things. Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. I like that. That's good. Uh, so with your work, uh, today here at the conference um every student's voice how are we able to raise every student's voice we'll start big big picture question um on your presentation yeah that's really the goal it's um not just raising every voice but capturing every voice and inviting every voice so i think we have you know mask as an organization thinking about the digital tools we have from an instructional point of view, I think it's you have to back up and look at what are the opportunities you're providing in class, what are the opportunities you're providing for students and families also to kind of think about uh, how are you soliciting every student's voice? Mm -hmm. Is it everything from bulletin boards to programs that your school is offering? Uh, what are the messages you're sending, but also what are the messages you're soliciting from students and families? So it's not so much just about hearing the voices of every student, but it's all the communication methods that, that the district is employing. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, part of the presentation, I just did it a little while ago, and it was great. I really great conversation in there. And the speakers, to kick off this morning, kind of jogged my thinking a little bit and, you know, pushed thinking in a good way um, about, you know, I'm always thinking about rethinking and reimagining what student publishing looks like mm -hmm. and at a school-based level what student publishing looks like. Um, to do that, to, to capture those voices at a, at a larger level so that if there's something happening in one classroom, how can that be seen by other teachers? How can teachers mentor for each other or across districts? And then how can they share the actual learning that's going on? How are they sharing the thinking of, of every student? You know, how many class books have we seen, laminated mm -hmm. bound books that end up being these great printed projects, but what happens with them? Or teachers who are 
you know, so committed to their cardboard trifold. But at the end of the day, who knows where that, well, we know where that cardboard trifold <laughs> is going to end up. Yeah, right. So you think about what goes into the creation of that cardboard trifold piece. You know, what is the thinking? What is the capturing? In a lot of ways, it's a website. Mm -hmm. It's a presentation tool. It's, uh, you know, it could be a book creator. And then thinking about some of those other tools incorporates uh, audio recording, incorporates video recording in it. It changes the practice, and I think it's it's utilizing the tools we have to really elevate for four specific reasons. Um, it captures the process of the creation. So I'm always an advocate that you know when students are creating a project, it shouldn't feel transactional. Mm -hmm. uh, at the end of you know the project, whether it's you know old school science fair or they're standing up giving presentations, we have to remember that it's about them showing what they know and what they've learned or demonstrating the skills they've mastered, not just printing the poem they wrote, not just standing <laughs> and delivering the project. Um, and then showcasing showcasing products from that production point of view. Again, we say it a lot, but thinking about kids as creators of content, not just consumers of content. And that can be a really transformational quote. We hear it a lot, but it is always worth thinking about as the evolution of the tools increases, you know, the evolution of the practices in the classroom need to align to that so that it is about the creation, not about the consumption. And then uh, if we're truly serious about capturing students' performing tasks and if that's how we're assessing learning is how are, how are we reviewing, assessing, capturing those performance tasks, thinking about the tools we have to do that, that level the playing level the playing field but also give access to all students so that they can demonstrate those practices they can support and show their learning in ways that are you know memorable and meaningful but they're also measurable yeah and i think one of the things for me now is that w we <laughs> we have things that we can create in our classrooms that we've never had been able to think about before right so just think of in the samra model being able to say we can hit that r in the redefinition with lots of different things, and they're they're not physical things that you could hold and you could touch and you could bring home and stick on the fridge. That that you've got this digital artifact that can last so much longer. I think about my own children being able to create, you know, the things that they create and they bring home from school, and then, and now moving towards a digital platform. I love that, and you know, thinking about SAMR specifically, not hierarchically, like. The, the S doesn't have to be bad. Sometimes we are just substituting. Mm -hmm. Not everything has to be redefined, but when it is, marking that moment and marking, you know, what is it about this activity that you used to do the same way for 20 years in a row, and now look at what you've done by turning it into a website, turning it into a presentation, mm -hmm. turning it into a virtual poetry gala. Look at the opportunity, and that's what the R, you know, that's what the redefinition is all about. And when a teacher can stand back and realize that, the opportunity that created for students, um, the access it provided for families, the opportunity to capture those voices and provide those choices for students, that's when it's really meaningful. Yeah, and that choice really personalizes the learning. It allows the student to get in there and make it their own. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's that speaks to the empowerment, mm -hmm. the whole empowerment. That's what, you know, it, equity is empowerment. Equity is not equality. Equity is really honoring those students' voices, that lived experience, and then capturing it, celebrating it, and also m making sure that in your classroom, in your building, at a district level, that it's valued and it's known that it's valued and it's shared so that all stakeholders, including 
primarily priori prioritizing students feel it. Yeah, so if you were a teacher trying to get started in this area, where would you, what tool as a digital learning coach, uh, where would you start? In some ways, as a new teacher, I might look toward veteran teachers. Um, not necessarily for the digital tools, but the, the teaching pedagogy. You know, I always think that there's this unfair expectation that new teachers, because they're digital natives, should have some expectation of being these skilled practitioners of teaching. We saw it during COVID. So having new teachers really partner and just kind of aligning those, building those partnerships too. So you're opening access and you're opening those bridges between those characters, I think builds the, the stronger skill set. And then just seeing um, whether it's online, on Twitter, social media conferences like this, seeing practices that are inspiring and asking, just asking someone. I think as educators, we, we're so, yes, we say we're in our silos, but we're also just be behind our closed doors and afraid to ask our peers, tell me how you did that, or mm -hmm. can we work together on that, or would you show me? Um, teachers teachers want to teach, not just the kids in their classroom, but the teachers next door, too. And when someone asks you and compliments you uh, or acknowledges something in that craft, uh, it's quite an honor. Yeah. Um, and recently, you've written a book, a sec your second book, correct? Yes, second book. Thank uh, you. Your second book, Impact to Influence. Um, talk a little bit about that process. Sure. It actually connects exactly what we were just talking about because it's that's exactly what I did was I found 20 leaders whom I found inspiring. And I, I was really interested in capturing whether they call themselves change makers or risk takers or rule breakers. Uh, I wanted to capture what it is they were able to do to shift from impacting 20 kids in the immediacy to influencing at the local, state, national level. Um, so the structure of the book is unique. You know, let's say you're a character in the book, somebody reads four or five pages about Brandon, the next page there's a QR code that goes to a Zoom interview between me and them. So it's a unique format. It's, the world doesn't need a, another blog, especially by me, because there are <laughs> great ones like yours. I mean, I'm sorry, podcast, because there are great ones like yours out there. Uh, but what I did want to do is capture. Everyone can do a Zoom recording now. Mm -hmm. So like I was saying, asking a neighbor teacher, asking someone about their story, what is it that made you want to leave the classroom? What is it that kept you in your classroom, but you were able to affect those levers of leadership to maybe create some of those policy changes or create that kind of amplify either your own voice or others' voices to really deliver some influence and then have them share their stories, capture that in this book. So thank you for asking. Yeah. So in the, in the process of creating a text like that, where does the genesis of the idea come from? Uh, that's a great question. It really was just an idea. And, you know, for me, it was a, I realized by the end of it, it was a selfish project. For me, it was not a product to sell. It was a project that I wanted to see through. And it was really about learning, learn, hearing these stories, learning the pathways that these people took. Uh, because all of us on our journeys, or our professional journeys, are on some sort of a pathway. And the pathway may not need to leave the classroom. It may not be the typical admin ladder, and it may not be moving into publishing or podcasting. But hearing these different stories for me, that was the genesis of thinking, all right, these people are so cool, and I want to hear um, everything they've done how did they do it? But what was it about them? Finding those common, common themes or common, common threads among all these characters that allowed them to do these really inspiring things with or without leaving the classroom. What was the one that sort of struck you the most? Ooh, I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> um, 
you know, one that was a long shot was asking um, Peter and Paul Reynolds. Um, everyone knows Peter Reynolds for writing The Dot. Uh, he and Paul created Fable Vision Learning mm -hmm. and Fable Vision as a production and creation, everything. And they're identical twin brothers. And in a lot of their story, they talk about uh, identity and being unique. And I kind of posed my question to them was, don't you have an unfair advantage by having this automatic built-in partner? And their answer was kind of surprising to me that early on, they had to identify earlier than a lot of others what made them unique, what made them stand out, what was it about, you know, who am I, uh, that they had to learn at an earlier age to differentiate themselves from their twin mm. that a lot of us still, you know, in our, in I turned 25 twice this year, and I think I'm still on that journey. Interesting. Jed Stefanowitz, thank you so much for coming on the podcast here. Um, things that you're doing in your own public schools right now in Walpole that you would like to highlight? Yeah, I, I Walpole is awesome. I'm really proud that this year we're looking at um, a coaching academy that the digital learning coaches are, are working on together to really emphasize the, the C part of our DLC titles so that we can keep that focus on the instructional over the operational all the time uh, because that's what you know, that's that's where our passion lies and that's hopefully where our professional road lies. So Brandon, this is great. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Jed. All right. You've been listening to the Get a Q podcast by MassQ. Here to educate, connect, and inspire.